So um, a couple years ago, I had taken the students to uh, camp, and so we go to a camp called Snowbird in, uh, in North Carolina, and uh, so we're up there with the students. I had my leaders up there, and it was, uh, it was midweek, and, uh, and it was late afternoon, so it was just before dinner, and then we would be going from dinner to, to service, and so I was going to go get cleaned up. And uh, so I grab my stuff to take a shower, grab my towel, grab my shower bag, and, and I head out. And of course, we're staying in cabins, so you know, there's no bathroom at the cabin. You got to go to the bath. You got to go to the shower house, right? And so you got to trek up to the shower house. And and so uh, I grab my stuff and I'm headed that way. And when I head that way, Toxie, and some of you may know Toxie. He's uh, he was up there and he was one of the leaders I had with me with students. And so he was. Um, he was walking along, and he was on the, on the phone. Now, he's, I don't know what he's trying to take care of, but it's toxic. So uh, he was trying to get a loan for something, and it, and it, it had to be taken care of uh, that day. And so he's on the phone with the loan officer from the, from the bank. And so he's talking on, he's giving information, information and stuff, and he's going on and on. So we're, we kind of merge at the same place, and so now we're walking together, and we're side by side. And he looks over at me, and I've got my towel over my shoulder and my shower bag in my hand. He says, now, he's still got the phone up to his mouth. Loan officer's on the other end. And he says, are you taking a shower? And I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> so I just stopped, and I'm like, and I can hear on the other end, um, I'm in my office. <laughs> You know, and it's kind of like that State Farm commercial, you know, when they call. And it's kind of like that moment. And so Toxie's like, no, I'm, you know, and he's trying to explain himself. But in that moment, the guy on the other end of that, and Toxie's like, no, I'm talking to somebody else. And the guy's going, you're getting way too personal, you know. There's this whole thing going on. And I'm like, what's going on here? And, uh, but the guy on the other end is like, I'm really confused right now. I'm not sure what's going on. I thought you needed a loan. You know, I thought we were like, I thought that was what we were doing. But now we're talking about showers. And, and man, he is, he is confused. He's not really sure uh, what's going on. And, and I say that to say we're about to read a passage of Scripture that if, if you're not careful, you, you might think, man, this is confusing. Like, what is... Like, what is going on right here? Like, I'm not really sure exactly what Jesus is doing here. I'm not sure what he means. Like, this can be, maybe this is completely confusing. And this is a passage of Scripture that a lot of people just skip over. So Matt and Tony said, hey, Brian, you got Matthew 15. Not really. But it just so happened we were talking about how the passages we've been landing on through the series. But in reality... A lot of people will just just skip over uh, this passage of scripture because it, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, a lot of people don't know what to do. Like we just want to shove this in the in the closet and just keep moving. Or maybe you've just been studying through your Bible and you've run across this passage of scripture. It's in Mark chapter seven as well, and uh, Mark chapter I mean Matthew chapter fifteen. So maybe you've come across it and you're you you read it and you're like, I have no clue. Let's just keep moving. You know what I mean? It's just like because it's, it's just it seems like at face value, it just seems kind of uh, baffling. And honestly, at face value, it can seem like Jesus is being like discriminatory. Like maybe there's some chauvinism going on here. Maybe 
Is Jesus doing some name calling? Like what, what exactly is taking place in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture? And, and one of the things that I'm just reminded every time uh, I get to preach on these miracles um, is just that, that Jesus just continually surprises us in the way in which he does things. He doesn't do things the way in which we would do them. He doesn't say things the way in which we would say them. Or the, the way that we would expect even him to, to do those things. But let me just say, this is next level, okay? So everything that we talked about and all the uncertainty and all the things that like Jesus doesn't do things the way we think he should, this is, this is next level. But let's remember something before we dive into this passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus is not a God created in our image, okay? We are created in, in his image, that, that he's not a God created in our, in our image. He does not, he hasn't ever, and he will never conform to our expectations. Jesus is God, and he does things the way in which he wants to do them, because that's the best way. And so he doesn't conform. He hasn't ever, and he never, uh, he never will. And no matter how hard we try to domesticate him, he's not bending. He's not budging. He's like... Jesus is going to, he's going to be who he is. And, and we can try to make him, we can try to make him safe. We can try to make him palatable. We can try to make him comfortable. We can try to put him in a box and make him like what we, but that's not who he is. And that, he doesn't do things that way. And so we can't, we can't make him somebody other than who he is. He simply is. And so we got to understand that as we lead into lead into this discussion and then secondly we need to understand that um, Jesus may not have always been predictable but he was always reliable so he may not do things the way which we would think like he may and, and constantly just keeping the disciples on their toes and keeping people on their toes even when you're reading through scripture like if you really stop and think about it, like hold on it's like it, so he's not predictable in any way shape or form but the one thing he is is he's reliable that's that's what we know, that he's 100% reliable and everything that he did was consistent with who he was and who he is today. Everything was consistent with that. And so we're going to see tonight that he is, um, he's the master of surprise. The last couple of times I've preached, we just kind of systematically worked through the passage. But I think we should read the whole thing so we kind of get an idea of what's going on here and then we'll, we'll break it down. All right. So in Matthew, if you grabbed a handout, it should be... Uh, should be on that handout in front of you. Um, but Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. All right. Um, in verse 21, he says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behind, uh, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter 
was healed instantly. Okay. What the heck is going on here? You know what I mean? Like Jesus is, well, well here, let's summarize it. It initially appears that Jesus ignores her. Jesus refuses her. Jesus rebukes her. And then he rewards her. So there's a lot of like there's a lot of stuff going on here. He's ignoring, he's refusing, he's rebuking, but then he ultimately ends up rewarding. So why doesn't he go straight to rewarding? Because think about all the passages of scriptures we've gone through this study as we've talked about miracles. There's been so many times where Jesus they like somebody comes to Jesus and they ask for something, and Jesus just he just gives it to them. He just he just does what they ask him to do. And so it's like Hold on. So why are we ignoring? Why does it seem as if we're refusing or rebuking? Like, what's going on here? Because it seems like Jesus is, you know, in so many other times, in so many other ways, he's, he's done thing, com- things completely different than what we see going on in this passage. Okay, let's, let's back up to verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. All right, so Jesus was in, uh, he was in, Guess uh, Gennesaret, and so he's in a region of the Galilean uh, region. There, he's on the Sea of Galilee. So Tyre and Sidon is um, it's northwest of that region. Okay, and so he sets out uh, north of uh, north of there. But when he's when he's in Gennesaret, he is um, he's what takes place right before he leaves for Tyre and Sidon is you know the religious leaders. They're still trying to gather ammunition, not information. And so they send a group of people to kind of test him, just like they had already continually over and over and over again. As I mentioned, they always see Jesus as a, as a threat. And so they've sent some people to question him. And so there's this issue of, you know, tradition and commandment. And, you know, he deals with the issue of what defiles a, what defiles a person and, you know, washing your hands and this and that. And so they go through this whole thing and, and, uh, and he, you know, he sets them straight. And of course, you know, he doesn't make any f- friends in the process with the religious leaders. And again, they didn't come to become his friend. They weren't coming to, you know, to get on his team or to gather information. It was, it was ammunition to use against Jesus. That's what we, uh, that was their whole motive in what they were doing. And so so he leaves from there among the Jewish people in a Jewish re- region, and he sets out to Tyre and Sidon. Okay, and if you think about, um, if you think back to you remember, you remember Jezebel. So Jezebel was married to Ahab, and Jezebel was responsible in a lot when Elijah was prophet. Jezebel was responsible for killing many prophets during that time. Like she was the one who set out and had these prophets. Had these prophets killed. So, the, and she was from Sidon. And so Tyre and Sidon would be kind of like, they're both on the coastline there. And so it'd be kind of like Gulfport and Biloxi. There's really no separation between the two. It's right there. You'd say, hey, the coast, and, and really it's kind of the same place. You, you, does that make sense? And so, so she, Jezebel is from this region. And so it wasn't just that, hey, this is a, this is a Gentile region, Okay. But it's not just Gentile, like, like the Jewish people still saw these people as their enemies because of what they had done in, in the past. And, and so there's some contention between, uh, between the Jewish people and the, the, um, the people there in Tyre and Sidon. And so what, what we see here is this, it, that 
there's this great there's this great divide now physical distance we're just talking about a few dozen uh, miles okay it, it's it's really it's about 35 miles from where he was to where Tyre and Sidon is but understand that um, spiritually culturally religiously like it is it is a chasm right it would be like getting on a plane and flying to India, right? It's just the, the difference in culture and spirituality and religion. Like, it is so di- completely polar opposite to what you would experience where Jesus was among the Jewish people and then where he's headed um, in Tyre and Sidon, all right? It's deeply, deeply pagan. And it is a very unlikely place that Jesus would seek refuge, like, it really is not the place. It's completely out of his way. And so he's going to go up. Remember, 35 miles up. But it's not like it's on his way somewhere. He's going up there. He's going to do some things up there. And then he's going to make his way back down to the region there on the Sea of Galilee. And so, um, so like, what is he doing? Like, it's, he's on a mission on his way. Okay? We need to understand that. And so... Um, one of the things we need to understand as well is that Jesus was leading his disciples further and further out of their cultural comfort zone to expand their view of the mission. Like he was, he was taking them somewhere. And this was taking them, them to a place that they were completely uncomfortable with, that they were completely unfamiliar with. As they're following Jesus and they're doing ministry, the more they're doing things, the more comfortable they're getting. But they're, now they have... They've just been transplanted to a completely different place, totally different ministry. And, and, and not only that, but it, it had to seem so strange to them because if you think back to Matthew chapter 10, he's now leading them to places that he had previously told them not to go. Hmm. Okay? Matthew chapter 10. He says, uh, says these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he was commanding them not to go into those regions, the Gentile regions. He's saying, hey, stay among the Jewish people here. Stay among the house of of Israel. And now what he's doing is something completely different. He's, He's taking them deep into the heart of Gentile territory. And he's saying, like, if we're going to, and this is, this is important for us to understand. He's, he's saying that, like, if we're going to carry out this mission, then we need to see people entirely different. Like, we got to see people differently than the way in which we see them. And that's what he's, one of the things that he's going to teach them. This, this principle here. And the principle is true for us as well. Like, we can't become the people God calls us to be until we begin to see the world and its people as he does. Stop and think about that. Like we're, we're never going to become the people that he's called us to be until we begin to see the world and its people the way in which he does. Like, not people that are just like us. I mean people that are very, very different than us. Again, let's just go back to the fact like, like the Jewish people still saw them in some ways as, as enemies. And they look, they look down on this. We, you know, we hear Jesus' this reference to dogs. Like, like the Jewish people, it wasn't uncommon for Jewish people to refer to the Gentiles as dogs. 
Like, there's some disconnect. There's some distance. There's some, right? And, and so, but they'll never be able to, to accomplish the mission. They'll never be able to be everything that God called them to be until they begin to see the world and its people the way in which God's called them to. And the same thing is true for us. And so one of the things I pray, I try to pray it every single day. I, I can't stand here and say that I do, but most days I pray before I leave my house, God, help me to see the world the way that you see the world. Help me to see the people that I'll come in contact with today the way that you see them. And they may look different. They may believe different. They may dress different. They may, they may do things completely and totally different than I do. They may be, it may be frustrating, it may be heartbreaking, it may be discouraging, it may be like all these things. And they may get under my skin and they, like all these things, but help me to see them the way in which you see them. Help me to see them as someone who's created in the image of God and their purpose in this world is to glorify you, to know you and to make you known. Like That's the purpose for which you created them. They're created in your image and you love them dearly. You slaughtered your son for the person that's driving me crazy, that's getting under my skin, that, that I don't understand, that I want to just keep moving past, that I just want to ignore, that I want to like, like you slaughtered your son so that they could know you. Help me to see them that way. Like, your love for them is so great. So help me to see them in that manner. And we're never going to be able to, to be the people that God called us to be until we begin to see the world and the people in it the way in which he does. And it's easy to try to do that with people that we like and people that are like us. But I want you to think about the people that aren't like us. Because that's what's going on. That's what's going on here. So in verse 22, he says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. In verse 23, he says, But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And so the woman that, that stands before him is a, is a Gentile woman, and, and she has uh, no standing to gain access to, uh, to Jesus in this moment. And, and if you look at the account in, in Mark, I put that on your listening guide, it starts out like this. It says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And so he's like, he just wants some peace and quiet. He's trying to get away. And he's thinking that, hey, up here in Tyre and Sidon, like maybe, maybe I won't, you know, word hasn't spread like it has down in the Jewish areas, but like, He's just, he doesn't want anybody to know where he is, and he's trying to lay low. Well, here's this lady, and she, she doesn't have any standing to gain access. She's a, she's a pagan woman. She's from the land of Jezebel. So she's from the land of, of Baal worshipers. Like She's from the land of the polar opposite of who Jesus was. Okay, and so, But there's no attempt to be subtle here. She's not trying to come in subtly and just try and say, hey, like, Jesus, if you could, you know, if you could do this, like, she is just shouting over and over and over. She's crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. How do we know she's doing this over and over? Because the disciples finally come to her and they're like, hey, this is my translation. Tell her to shut up and leave. You know what I mean? Like, or... 
just do what she says so she'll go. You know what I mean? Because she's just screaming over and over. And, and so Jesus here says, enter in the house and he didn't want anybody to know. Well, now here she is standing out just shouting from the rooftops. And now everybody, everybody knows. And so Jesus in the moment, he, he, appears, to, he appears to ignore her. And the disciples are, they're annoyed. You know, it's easy to say, well, it's like 35 miles. 35 miles to us is absolutely nothing. You may have driven 35 miles to get to church tonight. You know what I mean? Like 35 miles for us is nothing. But for, for them, it's a two or three day journey. They're not, they're not riding a bike. They're not driving a car. They're not, they're walking. And they're not walking on paved streets. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a hike. They're tired. They get they get there and they just want to rest and and they're wore out. They're beat down. They and and now we've got this this crazy lady who's just constantly screaming and crying, talking about wanting us to do this thing for for her. And I was just thinking um, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about all those moments. Now maybe you've never experienced this, but I'm just going to be honest with you. All these moments where. I'm just tired. Like, I'm just tired. And the phone rings. Or there's a knock at the door. Or, like, somebody, somebody, you, you know what I mean? Like, there's a need. And, and all I want to do is just be like, I just want to sit at home and watch TV and do nothing. Or I need to go. It, it, you know, in those moments, it's like, well, there's this, this thing in us. It's like, what are we going to do? And, and Jesus, I think, is teaching us a principle here, too. It's like, okay, well, look, God calls us to ministry even when we're tired. Like, tiredness is an excuse. It's not an excuse because, you know, I mean, the disciples here would love to have used that as an excuse, but Jesus wasn't going to, wasn't going to let that happen. And it's so easy for us to get, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have rest and we shouldn't have boundaries and we shouldn't have all those things, but we need to be very careful when somebody is in need and God has placed them in our path, then we can't use the excuse of being tired uh, to not do something, to intervene on behalf of someone else. God has called us to, to do that, all right? And so here's this lady, and she's hollering over and over and over again. I was thinking about um, how the women in the room probably could understand this. Uh, I was just thinking about how many times my kids were little, and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, and my wife's like, are you ever going to answer them? <laughs> like, are you ever, you know what I mean? It's just like, how do we not hear, but men just have this thing, I guess, where, you know, we just can, I don't know what, what the deal is, but we can tune it out, but you know what I mean? And the kids just constantly over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like, would you please just answer your child? And that's kind of what's going on here. They're like, Jesus, and Jesus is just sitting there. He's not doing anything. And like, Jesus, would you just... Just answer her. Either tell her to shut up and leave or do what she's asking her to do so she'll go. And Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say anything. And in the midst of, of that, in the midst of her heartfelt cries, there's a, there's a strange silence from Jesus that we haven't seen before. We haven't seen this before. Like I said earlier, like why didn't Jesus just reward her like she's asking? Because so many times over and over and over again, we've seen him do this. And so now he's, he's not only not doing what she's asking, but he's just ignoring the fact that she's there. Well, well, why? 
Because Jesus hadn't ignored like this before. And we've seen him be sensitive to the needs of parents before. We've seen him heal sick kids. We've seen him raise kids that were dead. We've seen him cast out demons. Like we, we've seen him do these things. So what is, what is going on here? And let me, let me circle back to what I said at the beginning of our time together. Everything Jesus did was always consistent with who he was and who he is today. He is always consistent to who he was and who he is today. We see that over and over and over again. We can always circle back to the character and nature of God. When we don't understand what we're seeing, when something doesn't make sense to us, we can always circle back to what we know to be true about God. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place in your life, but if you haven't, you will be. There's going to be times where you need to circle back and you just need to remind yourself of the character and nature of God because something doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense yet, right? And so we have to, we have to remember the character and the nature of God. And so why is he doing this? Why is he ignoring this woman? Why is he letting things go on? This is my personal opinion. I believe that He's waiting till he has everybody's attention. And once she hollers and screams and they come to him, now everybody's around. Everybody's there. All right, now that I have everybody here, it's time for me to teach you a lesson. Right? And so he's about to, he's about to unpack exactly what he's wanting to, uh, to accomplish through this, through this miracle. It's a teachable moment for her. It's a teachable moment for his disciples. It's a teachable moment for everything. Because not only is God at work, whenever we're, we're dealing with something in our lives, not only is it God at work in our lives, but he's also at work in the lives of everyone around us. Like He doesn't waste anything. So he's constantly working in all kinds of different ways. It's never just one thing. Never. And so he's at, he's at work. And now he has everybody's attention. Verse 24 he answered I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel he finally answers and that's what he says okay this woman's what she's a okay so I'm guessing she is not in that category she is not in that category so like I feel like he he probably catches everybody off guard in this in this moment like he's, remember what we said, that here's where it appears as though maybe he's refusing her. She's clearly a Gentile. And maybe the disciples are in this moment, they're going, yes, he's confirming their request to send her away. It's like, he only came to the house of, the, of Israel, so ma'am, just keep moving, right? But that's not what's going on, that's not what's going on here. And, he, and she doesn't leave, she doesn't be like, okay, house of Israel, that's not me. No, she presses in even more. She presses on, like she comes in closer. It says in verse 25, it says, uh, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So it just keeps getting worse and worse. Like this is where it starts getting dicey here, right? This is where it, it appears to maybe get a little, um, a little controversial. And so what is it? Who's he referring to? He said it's not right to take the children's bread. Well, who are the, who are the children in this, in this story? The Jewish people, right? So he's talking, about, he's talking about the Jews. And he's talking about how the Old Testament covenants and the promises that 
that are for the Jewish, for the Jewish people, for the house of Israel. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to, to the dogs. And so this Gentile woman, she knew that she had no claim on those promises. She was, she was aware. When she comes in, she calls him son of David, which is a messianic term. She understands who he is and who she isn't. It's, it's crystal clear. And yet she, she presses in and she understands that she knew that she had no claim. That she was an outsider looking in. But Jesus didn't call her an outsider. What did he call her? It's hard to say, isn't it? Like, I don't even want to say that. But I mean, like, so, so who's he referring to? The dogs or the non-Jews? Which, that's the category in which this woman would, would fall into. It, a Gentile. And so did he just call her a dog? You know what I mean? That's why, I mean, there's a lot of people that will just move past this because what is it exactly that, that Jesus is doing here? Jesus uses, a, it's, it's unique to this passage of Scripture only and the passage of the same account in Mark chapter 7. The word he uses for dog, this is the only place you'll find it in the New Testament. You know, you, you think uh, New Testament, Old Testament times, their ideas of dogs and, and our ideas of dogs are very, very different. Uh, dogs in those days were, um, they were scavengers. They would travel in packs. They were dangerous. They would, they would travel in packs so that they could, right, so they could wreak havoc on things and people. And so they were mangy. They were you know what I mean? Like, it, they weren't safe in any way, like, and, and they weren't something to be played with or messed with. You're not going up and petting some of these dogs that are roaming around on the streets. That's not what we're, we're talking about. They're not your little labradoodles. And like we, that, there was none of that going, going on. But Jesus uses this term. If you, if you have New King James, your translation says little dogs. He does use this term that's completely different and unique to this passage of Scripture. It's almost as if he's saying like a, like a puppy. And it is reference to, um, it's this reference to um, a domesticated pet. Not wild. Tame. Like, like, like this is, is something very different. And that was, that they did have pets like that in those days, but it was very, very uncommon. And so they would be part of the family, but they're not really the family. Does that make sense? If you got a pet, uh, maybe you like no, they're family. But uh, but the point is, like, it's it's very different than what we were thinking. Like Jesus uses just a almost this intimate term for for pet for this dog that he's that he's talking about, and he was very very careful in which uh, the word in which he chose to use there. And so it appears to be derogatory, but it's really not at all. Man, I just was thinking about, I've been just marinating on this for a couple weeks now. And so I've said this in this series, like it's, it's hard for us because you can't read tone when you read the Bible. We don't know the tone in which Jesus was using when he said this. But another thing that we can't see is we can't see facial expressions whenever we read. Like I would love to see Jesus's face and hear his tone when he says this and I think a lot of times we just assume that uh, the tone that God takes towards us or towards people a lot of times like it's just it's it's 
angry or it's frustration or it's, you, you know what I mean? I think in this situation that it's almost as if Jesus has given this woman a wink. Like he says this and, and maybe, maybe just a little grin and a wink. Hey, you hear me? You, you picking up what I'm putting down? You, you see what I'm saying here? Like, do you, do you understand? She's not offended. I mean, if you, if you paid attention to her response, she's not offended by what Jesus says. Which tells us a lot about maybe the tone and the facial expression that he used when he said, when he said what he said. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is intentionally provoking her faith. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's provoking her faith. When I would take students on the, uh, we used to take a group up to the reservation uh, in South Dakota, the Sioux Reservation up there. And uh, it's, man, it's like a 30-hour trip one way. It is brutal, brutal. And uh, so when you're, you know, when you're in a van with teenagers for 30 hours one way you got to be creative in the things in which you uh which you do because they only sleep so much when they sleep it's awesome but they only sleep so much and so one of the things that I love to do is riddles and so I just kept a mental list of riddles in my head and so I would give them these riddles to do uh and so and it would take and you could man three or four good riddles can last two or three hours because I am not giving in I am not telling you the answer to the riddle. And so, you know, you have some students that in that moment, they'll be like, I'll give them the riddle. And literally 30 seconds there later, they're like, okay, what's the answer? And I'm like, I don't work like Google. I, I don't work like that. You know what I mean? So we're going to have to work, we're going to have to work through this. And so you can ask yes or no questions. But, uh, and, and so, and then you have some students that are like, yeah, okay, like, like, let's think through this. And I'm like, hey, think with me. Like, there's clues in what I'm telling you. So think outside the box as to what's going on. And it's almost like Jesus here is like, he's given the wink. Like there's clues in what I just said. Think outside the box with me. Think outside the box. And then she, in verse 27, uh, she said, Yes, Lord, not even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. And so here's my thing. This was a sharp lady. Like, she was listening very, very carefully. She was picking up what he was putting down. Like, she was, she was getting it. And she recognized that he hadn't closed the door on actually feeding the dogs. He didn't close the door on that. He just made a statement about who's going to eat first. And he says the children, the children have priority. They're going to get fed first. And she says, yeah, but what about the leftovers? I don't know about you, but I love leftovers. Some people, I think it's like either you love them or you hate them. Man, I, am, I feel like it tastes better the second day. I don't know. Some things, that's not the case. But we were, um, me and my wife were over in New Orleans one, one time. This has been years ago. And uh, we were just walking the river, walking New Orleans. And um, there was a homeless man, and there was a lady who had, just eating and you could tell she had a bag of leftovers and this is probably one of the most creative things I've ever heard and I'm like I think I'm about to go buy this guy some food he says ma'am are you emotionally attached to your food <laughs> I'm like 
that's awesome. Now, she was just like, oh, you know, don't talk to me. But I was thinking, hey, bro, like, that's good. You know what I mean? But, like, but here's, here's this lady, and she's having this conversation. She's like, yeah, okay, I understand that the children get fed first. I understand how this works, but what about the leftovers? What, what about what's left what about what's left over? And, and Jesus acknowledges that, hey, look, and, and what God is doing here is he's saying, like, first, you know, the idea is that he's sharing the hope of glory with the Jewish nation. But then he's saying, I'm coming to, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to the Gentiles. I think Ephesians chapter 2 summarizes this well. Think about everything that's going on in this passage and think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So it's the the Jewish calling the Gentiles something which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel with the promises of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. So you were on the outside looking in having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see what's going on here? That kind of lays out exactly what's taking place in this passage of, of Scripture. And what we see is that Jesus had not only come to the Jewish people in fulfillment of God's covenant promises, but he had also come for believing Gentiles that he had also come for believing Gentiles. And so, yes, it was the fulfillment of the covenant promises for the house of Israel. But it didn't end there. But there's order. There's a plan. I think the problem that we have with this and why people get offended with this and we don't, is that we think linearly. We think first and second, right? And first is obviously better than second. I don't know about you. I'm competitive. First is better than second. Right? And so in our mind, that's how, we, that's how we think about things. And so God's saying, I'm going to redeem my people. And the chronology with God isn't first equals best and second equals second best. But that's the plan in which he's put in place to accomplish his purpose for redeeming mankind. Think about it like this. Maybe, maybe you, um, you have young kids or you've had young kids. Uh, or you've been around people who've had young kids, but like think about when you put your kids to to bed. I, I I mean when I when my kids were young and I would put my kids to bed, I always I always would tuck my son in first. I don't know why he was older, and so I would tuck my son in first, and we would go through the good night ritual, and then I would go from there, and I'll go into my daughter, and so there was just the way in which I I put them to bed. You know, my daughter never came to me and said, "Dad, you have ruined me." Why do you love Goose more than you love me? You put him to bed first. No, I put you, I put you both to bed. It was just an order in which I, it wasn't that I love one more than the other. It was just the way in which, the way in which I, I did that and accomplished that. You, you see what I'm saying? It's not like, and, and to think that that states something about, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And so, the woman isn't saying, hey, why, why, do you, why do you go into them first? She's like, she's willing to admit that she deserved no place at the table. I would be so happy with leftovers. Like if you would, 
if you would give me the leftovers, I'm so undeserving to sit at the table. I'm so undeserving of anything. But if you would count me worthy to, to at least give me the leftovers, like you can meet my deepest need. She saw in Christ that he could meet her deepest need. And that didn't make her second, didn't make her second best. Jesus is saying, I've got you, and it doesn't make you second best. Because the truth is, is the same blood that was shed for the Jews was shed for the Gentiles. Hey, in newsflash, we're Gentiles. And we didn't deserve a place at the table. We didn't deserve the leftovers. But God in his goodness, he gave it anyway, exactly what we needed. And his blood was shed so that we could receive exactly what we didn't deserve. God had chosen to reveal himself to the world. You think about the Old Testament times. God had chosen the nation of Israel. And it was through Israel that he would reveal himself to the world. That was how he would show the world the one true God. That's how people would know who he was. Like he did it through the nation of Israel. Jesus was, um, Jesus was declaring that the Father's mission for him was in direct fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. That's what, that's what we see. That Jesus was declaring that the Father's mission for him was in direct fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. Salvation would come to the nations through two and through Israel. Listen to what, what Jesus says in John chapter 4. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And so there's this common thread all throughout Scripture. It's not like, it's not like Jesus is, is keeping us in the dark on this. And so uh, it's to the Jews and through the Jews that salvation was going to come to the world. To the Jews and through the Jews, that salvation was going to come into the world. Now, this is let's let's remember, this is um, this is an uncomfortable venture for the disciples. It's uncomfortable. They are they they have hiked thirty five miles. They're they're deep in enemy territory. They're in Gentile t- territory, but God is doing something. Like He is teaching them. He's been teaching them this principle that we see in Scripture, that we've seen in Ephesians 2, that we see in John chapter 4. Now, okay, they, we're, we're declaring the goodness and that the kingdom have come among God's people, but now we're also going to take this to the rest of the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so He's preparing them for something. This was actually training ground. This was training ground for the task of bringing the good news of Christ to every tribe and every nation. That it wasn't just going to be for the Jews, it was going to be for the world. That's what, that's what we see in Scripture. It was never meant to end with them. And it's not meant to end with us. That, that here's, here's the problem. God intended to reveal himself to the world through Israel. Through the nation of Israel. That was his plan. That, that the world would know who the one true God is. But what happened is, is Israel became very inward focused. 
They started thinking that they were better than everybody else because they had the one true God. That the Messiah was going to come through their lineage. And they started thinking, hey, we're better than you and you'll never have what we have. And so they became very inward focused. We're special. And they had forgotten the purpose that their purpose in life was to make the one true God known among the world. Like that was their purpose. And instead they had taken it and just turned their attention and their focus inward. And it's a very dangerous place to be. And so we've got to be very, very careful because the, the same thing can be true for us if we're not careful. That, that we become so just enamored in enjoyment of our blessings that we lose sight of the fact that God wants, to make, wants us to make him known to the world around us. You, you know, we go from, when you, flip the, when you flip from the page in the Old Testament to the New Testament... We become Israel. We are Israel. The, the new covenant promises are, are true for us. And we are, to, we are to make him known among the nations. So that's what we're called to do. You know, I, I was thinking about how, um, now I'm not saying that we need big churches or that uh, our church is this. Or I, I'm just saying, like, if you drive around, it's shocking to me how many churches never grow. Never grow. There's so many churches that, um, so many churches that are dying off, so many churches that are dead, but like there's no growth. It's just the same group of people. They get together, they huddle up every single Sunday, talk about how blessed they are, and then they go home and nothing ever. Like, there's so many churches. You, you, you probably pass three or four driving down John Clark Road. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, and again, I'm not saying the world needs bigger churches. What, what the world needs is people who are going to proclaim the gospel to the world around them. That's what the world needs. And so that's, that's the command. That's what we're commanded to. And if, if we're never growing, if we're never growing spiritually, and we're never growing and reaching people for the gospel, then are we really living out our, our faith? And so we've got to be careful. Because this enjoyment of our blessing, and look, it is a blessing to be called among the children of God. It is a blessing to get the leftovers, right? It is, it is a blessing. And, and we, should, we should rejoice in that. We should confess that to God. And we should confess that to one another. But if it never drives us to look across the street to our neighbors, if it never uh, causes us to, to look across the divide of our culture, if it never causes us causes us to look across our borders, if it never causes us to, to look people in the face that are different from us, that don't have the hope that we have, then something is wrong. That something's wrong. And so that's what we're, we're called to. We should, we should choose to obey to make him known. To make him known. And again, the, the, temptation, is, the temptation is to huddle up. To huddle. You know, and to, to gather together on, on Wednesdays and Sundays. And man, and again, we should do what I'm about to say. 100%. We should get together and we should talk about how great it is to know God. And to be known by Him. We should, we should talk about the hope that we have been given in Christ. We should talk about what it means to, to love Him and to be loved by him we should talk about how blessed we are 
that we don't have to go through suffering alone. We should be talking about all those things, and we should be worshiping God when we come in this place as a family of God, that we would lift our voices and our hearts and our hands to the, to the God of the universe, to, to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Like, we should do those things. But man, that should stir in us. Like, for the people that don't have that, like, we should, we should care. Like, that... It doesn't, end, it doesn't end with us. God, God has called us to live on mission and to take the message of hope and salvation to the world. That's what he's, that's what he's called us to. It's not just for us. Do you understand that? That's, that's what this is all about, that it's not just for us. Robbie Gallaty says in one of his books, he says, the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. That it's not a, it's not a dead end. This isn't dead end Christianity. Like, it's a thoroughfare. Like, it should be, like, should be flowing through us. And it, should, it came to us on its way to someone else. And we're called to take the gospel to the world around us. And so we've got to make sure that we are just very careful that we, hey, we, we understand the blessing that we've been given. We understand that God was good enough and he does allow us to sit at the table. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But we've got to remain outward focused. We've got to remember what it was like for us when we were slaves to sin. When, when Ephesians chapter 2, let me, let me go back and read that one more time. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called by the uncircumcision, uh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Like that is unbelievable that that statement would be true. That that would be true for us. And how could we not share that with the people around us and remember what it was like to be slaves to sin. That and, and in this passage here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, "Hey, I'm going to make Gentiles Jews because that's what he says here in Ephesians." That's not what he's that's not what he's saying. He's not going to make Gentiles Jews. He's going to make dead people alive. Like he's going to he's going to make dead people alive. And so there's very very different. Like he's not saying, "Hey, Gentiles, I want you to become a Jew." He's like, "No. You're you're all dead and I want you to be made alive." And the only way that's possible is through through Christ. And every single day we get to get up and go out into the world and make a difference for him and shine brightly for the kingdom of God. And we just got to be careful that we don't get inward focused and forget about the mission in which he's entrusted to us. You know, it's a blessing to be able to serve in a place where so many people get this. I mean, it's a good reminder, but so many of you, like, you're on mission every single day of your life, every day of your life. And that is a tremendous encouragement. Every time you go to to work every time you go to Walmart every time like 
You know what I mean? Like you're, you're constantly looking for, you, you understand your friends, you're looking for ways just to build relationships with friends who aren't believers in, in the hope that they would come to, to know the hope and the love of Christ. And, like, and, and we serve in a place, we get, to, we get to be a part of a family that, you know, that at the end of the month, we, we're going to have a fall festival. And you know how many churches will have fall festivals? And I'm not throwing shade. Sorry, I've talked to teenagers for a lot of years. I'm not saying anything bad about anybody that's going to have a fall festival for themselves, but that's not what we're going to do. We're going to have a fall festival for other people, for other people who don't have the hope that we have, who don't know Christ the way in which we know him. So we're going to go out and we're going to love and serve our community. So we get to be a part of that. This coming Sunday, we're going to go and we're going to knock on doors and we're just going to say, hey, we have a gift for you. And if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come and visit us. We'd love for you to come and be a part of our family. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Right? And so it's just, just, just a simple conversation, just a, a smile and a handshake, and just letting God's Spirit lead us in, in, in that conversation and that thing. So like, there's so many ways continually that we get opportunities to do that here, and there's so many opportunities that we get to do that every single day. So here's what I want to do in our, our time tonight. We're going to close things out a little bit. A little bit different than we typically do on a, on a Wednesday night. Um, I want to pray for a couple things specifically. But I don't want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And so I want you to begin by praying that God would grow our desire personally. For you, for me personally. That God would grow our desire for this truth to be true in our lives. I want you to pray about the people that God's placed in your life, that you know that God's calling you to love them, to serve them, to show them grace, to offer them truth, to offer them hope. That maybe you've been neglecting. Maybe you've just been saying, I'm too tired. They're too far gone. They're too... I, I'm discipling a group of a teenagers, and uh, I'll officially be done with that at the end of the year. And uh, so that's kind of the last thing I'm holding on to. Um, since I've transitioned from student ministry. But I have a student who, a few weeks ago, he, uh, he texted in our group chat, and he said, hey, guys, I want you to be praying for me. I feel like God's calling me to share my faith with one of my teachers. And uh, so, you know, we said, hey, we'll be, we'll be praying for you. And we asked her name. And, um, and so then we began to, we began to pray for, for her. And I said, okay, well, in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to pray for her but I want you to just show grace. I just want you to look for ways to love and serve her. Ask her if there's anything that you can do in her classroom. Look for ways to just be a blessing to her. Just anything that you can, you can do. And so we just began to pray as a group. Began to pray for him. Began to pray for her. And he just started showing grace and just doing little things. Hey, you need something hung. Hey, you need this done. And, uh, and so last week he, he uh, texted and said, hey, I feel, like it's, I feel like it's time. I feel like God's calling me to have a conversation. I'm like, okay. Well, he goes into school, just so happens it's not, uh, it's not like their first block is off. They got something going on, so she doesn't have a class. And so he stops by, and he picks up a donut and brings her a donut. And uh, he sits down in her class and says, hey, I just um, I want to talk to you about something. And he just begins to share his faith. He just starts telling about what God's done in his life and how God's completely and radically just changed his life and, he, and he's having this conversation with her and then she begins to say like it's so crazy like I have friends that have been inviting me to church and all these things are just 
have been starting to just happen in my life. It's like, I feel like God is, I feel like God is talking to me. Like God is trying to get my attention. And, uh, and he was able to look at her and say, God sees you and he loves you and he is trying to get your attention. And uh, he just committed to pray for her. And, uh, and, and so I just, that's what we're talking about. That's, that's what it, and so like, what I want to begin by praying is just like, let's pray that the people that God's placed in your life, like who is it that God's calling you to, to pursue like a heat-sinking missile to go after and to love and to serve and to share the truth and the hope that you have in you. So here's, here's what we'll do. You can come to the altar. You can bow where you are. You can sit where you are and you can pray with your spouse. You can do whatever. But here's what I want to do. In this moment and then in just a moment, we're going to pray for Saturate. But in this moment, what I just want us to do is pray for you specifically, individually, and for us as a church that we would really grab a hold of what God is trying to teach us through this passage of Scripture. So we'll have some music playing. You can come to the altar. You can stay where you are. And just pray personally for yourself and, and for the church as a whole, that we as a church, that we as a fellowship, we'd really, really, truly, um, that God would grow a desire for this in our hearts.